0: Welcome in everyone to Flyover Footy. My name is Matt Baker here with a festive Flyover Footy edition for you. It is our final show of 2023 and we've got a special one for you. I'm not joined by Phil. I'm not joined by Santi, not Stu. They've taken the week off. I think they've taken the rest of the year off, but I'm joined by Chris Gebhardt from STL Soccer News. I'm so excited to be joined by you. Chris, how's it going? Why don't you introduce yourself and uh, what you do with St. Louis Soccer News. Uh, well, first off, thank you for having me, Matt.
1: It's uh, you know a pleasure to be here. I'll, I'm uh, a poor replacement for Santi and Phil and Stu and those guys. So, uh, but I'm 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 you know super excited to get a chance to talk to you and and uh, talk soccer, which I love to do. Um, you know, just a, a little bit of what I do for the website is is basically it's just uh, it started off as a way for myself to follow guys like you and 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 what you guys do is um, you know when the team was getting ready to get started one of the things that um i was interested in finding out was hey you know there has to be all this content out there and i knew about flyover obviously and some of the other podcasts and and people who were creating content online and and uh it just became it was difficult to find everything and i wanted to kind of you know i'm content junkie so i wanted to find everything and and at a certain point i said well if i'm having this much trouble finding everything then there's got to be other people who are having the same issue, you know, just, and being able to find everything that they want to kind of absorb from all these different opinions and people who are putting stuff out there. So I just started a really simple website and said, Hey, you know, I'm just going to throw everything on there. And if, you know, somebody else finds it useful, great. And then I had a flood of people saying, well, if you're throwing that on there, why don't you do this? Or why don't you add that to it? And it's just kind of snowballed since then. And and now uh, it's just you know a, kind of a central point where if people are looking for something and they can't find it or they just want a central place to kind of go, um, you know, there's all kinds of different links all the way down to high school stuff and and the local, um, you know, non-pro and semi-pro teams and and the college stuff and and so and not really doing any original content and 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 I'll leave that to the experts like you and and the other guys are doing that stuff. But I just wanted to make it easier for you guys to get views and, and eyes on uh, on your content. So um, and so much appreciated to the people who actually do the hard work of creating these podcasts and and that stuff, uh, which is great. Um, I'm a fan just like anybody else. So, um, yeah, that's that's what the website really is for. It's just for us fans to be able to find you guys more easily. So.
0: And we absolutely adore it. Honestly, we talk about it all the time in our group chat. It's got just an easy to use, simple interface on it, stlsoccernews.com. You can follow them on socials, STL under soccer, under news. And you you do that. You collate everything, putting everything into like a centralized location with easy to see tabs for the club, for fans, podcasts, the community, college and prep. It's an easy one-stop shop to stay caught up in just about everything. And it's it's kind of an indispensable resource, I think, or at least it's become one as this club has grown into not just a, an amazing club on the field, but I think we hear about the fans, we hear about the atmosphere, we hear about the the social media engagements all over the place. And it's amazing to have this kind of thing. So thank you for what you do. Oh, well, yeah, no problem.
1: I mean, thank you guys in return, obviously for, for the people who are actually doing the, the, like I said, the hard work of of writing articles and putting podcasts together and streaming and all the stuff that, you know, really makes this club special from a fan perspective. Um, you know, we, we've had the Cardinals forever. We've had the blues for a very, very long time. This is a, a different feeling around this, this club. And it's really ours um, as a community. And, and, to be able to contribute or give something back, um, is, has been great for me and, and just to be able to, to help highlight the people who are, are, you know, doing this kind of stuff and, and, and helping get eyes on content and, uh, you know, we, the schedules and all that stuff, you know, if it helps somebody who wants interested in going to a, uh, you know, a college game or a high school game, or you know, any of that kind of stuff. The more that we can keep people involved or get new people involved in soccer in the St. Louis community, is just going to make it even stronger. Um, you know, and and one of the things I wanted to make a real quick mention of is, you know, I've had people who have complimented me and it's very nice and I I very much appreciate it. Um, but the the original person who did this is no longer with us is Steve Olson. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I am a one hundredth of what he ever was. Like, you know, he was the, you know, kind of the godfather of this kind of thing of of you know collating and, and being at every event and all that stuff. So, you know, unfortunately he's not with us anymore, but he was really the one who you know, started this kind of thing. And then, um, you know, unfortunately since he's not around anymore, I said, well, maybe I can do something, but I will never even approach his, his level of contribution to the St.
0: Louis soccer community. So much, much love to him, to to Steve Olson. So You've picked up the baton well and continue the tradition. And I I think it's something to be proud of to see that type of content carried forward. And, and it, it kind of gives us all a nice platform to um, help get, you know, familiar with everybody and and kind of collaborate with everybody else so it, it's fun as a as a creator to see that happen yeah for sure um
1: you know and and i like highlighting people like dave lang and same little soccer tracker you know from mr simpson you know like all yeah. all the people who are putting their stuff out there and and um you know it just it it's great to be able to highlight those guys they you know you guys the podcast people, the the you know the the people on X or Facebook, they're the ones who I want to get the attention because you're doing the work, and so if I can help with with that in any way, that's
0: what I try to do. So. The wind beneath our wings right Chris <laughs> I won't break into songs so I hope, hopefully you won't either so well then uh, we be, we better pivot over to some news because sure. there yeah. has been some news We haven't it feels like we've been it's been forever since we've done a flyover but uh two weeks I guess is is what the off season is for. It's our last show yeah. of 2023 we we think unless something amazing or something unbelievable would happen, this is what we're planning for and we're gonna recap everything that's gone on in the past couple of weeks. Unfortunately, we've had a little bit of a longer offseason than we wanted, but St. Louis made a quick announcement early into their offseason that Kyle Hebert had been signed to a new deal. This one took us a little bit by surprise. It wasn't anything that we were really expecting, but uh, I think it was was polarizing in a certain way because Kyle Hebert tends to draw that reaction, but the deal itself, City signed Kyle Hebert to a new contract uh, running through 2026 with a club option for 2027. Hebert's been with St. Louis, obviously, since he signed a contract with City 2 in 2022. In MLS regular season play, Kyle started 24 matches, 10 at center back, 13 at left back, and once at right back. He's got two goals in his career, and City has been 15, 7, and 2 during MLS regular season play when Kyle's been in the starting 11. For country, Hebert's made his first appearance with the Canadian men's national team senior camp in March for the Concacaf Nations League matches. Prior to that call-up, he made three appearances for the U18 Canadian men's national team. So we've got a club and country guy locked in through at least 2026. What was your first thought, Chris, as you saw this extension?
1: Uh, It made perfect sense to me. Um, You know, uh, I think from a on-field perspective, he's the kind of guy that, yes, he is a center back who was forced into the left back position basically out of necessity. Um, And hopefully if he is going to play more there or play, you know, continue to play there, He will continue to grow and and develop his skills as a left back. I don't know if that's the plan, but if it is, then he's the perfect kind of guy that gives you that flexibility of, hey, you know, Parker needs a rest or Nielsen needs a rest or, you know, whoever, or there's an injury and to have a little bit of flexibility on that back line. Uh, I think is really nice. Um, and to be able to say like, okay, you know, Markanic is out or Hebert's going to start for him or he's going to start at center. So a center back. So I think it, it makes sense from a flexibility perspective, um, you know, and, and it made sense to me rather than to just say, okay, we're not going to re-sign Hebert and we're just going to go out and get a guy who can only play center back or who can only play left back. It's almost like getting two depth pieces out of one slot. So that's what I thought about it.
0: So. One of the one of the big feedback I saw some of the comments related to the depth piece. The fact that a lot of people see Kyle Hebert as good depth to an MLS side that needs that depth. The more matches they're playing, we've seen what can happen last year when you are lacking depth in a certain position. And I point to a left back or a center midfield where you are having to pull players from other positions to try and fill gaps for extended portions of the season. This this really does hit that, and you are you are spot on. Left back, center back. He, he was put in a position at left back where he's never played before. He was very open and honest about that. He took it from that first game against Sporting KC and he ran with it. He was our left back for a, a majority of the season. And I I see the success that he had in that, but I also see the the dedication and commitment to the system. He's definitely grown to be a Carnell guy, in my opinion, just like you know we saw uh, Jared Stroud as that kind of a player where he's... He's he's in the lineup. He's proving himself in practice. There's a reason he's out there. He's he's got the flexibility of the center back, left back. He does what he needs to do. And it's it's interesting to look at this deal. New contract through 2026, possibly 27, and you compare it to some of the other players on our back line because you're you're seeing a little bit of a of a coming into focus over the next few years, in addition to the goalkeeper position, I think, which we'll get to in a minute. But I just want to throw some numbers out there in kind of context for Kyle Hebert. Looking at our current center back and our current left back situation. Hebert signed through 26 option for 27. Tim Parker is currently signed through 2024 with an option for 25. Joachim Nilsson is signed through 2026. We don't know if there's an option associated to that, but most MLS contracts contain options. So Parker through 24 op- possible option for 25. Nielsen signed through 26. Josh Yarrow, his option was just picked up for 2024. Anthony Markanik is signed through 2024 with a possible 25 option. So you're looking at guys who this year, 2024, you could be seeing the end of the line for greater than 50% of our back line. And then you have Joachim Nilsson through 26, Hebert through 26. Whether you call it a depth piece or a center back of the future, I think you're seeing that there are, there's consistency and continuity being set up by Lutz and Carnell with some of these players.
1: Yeah, that's – I mean – you as a sporting director, GM, whatever sport it is, you, know, you have you have two eyes and you have to have an eye on what's happening this season. And then you got to be looking down the road. You always have to be planning, you know, what's next. And so uh, what you don't want to wind up is a situation where you have you feel like you're forced to sign somebody or to re-sign them or to keep an eye, o- you know, pick up an option because you don't have any better solution or you don't have any depth behind them or nobody coming up to take, to, to push them for that spot. You don't want to be in a position where you're like, well, it's either this guy or nothing. And so, um, you know, I, I think that, especially when you talk about it, I'm sure we'll touch on it tonight, just the amount of games um, you need bodies and you need people who can play at this level. And, and um, you know, my hope is that uh, again, if, if Hebert is asked to play at the left back position or the center back position, uh, during the year, um, which I'm sure he'll play both. Uh, I don't see, unless they go out and get somebody at the left back, I I, I imagine that Hebert will still play there, um, that he just continues to grow and get better at that spot. Um, and next year, beyond, you know, not this coming year, but the year after that, when you talk 2025, um, yeah, you're liable to see some turnover. And and having a guy already locked in that you know kind of what he
0: is and what he can be, I think, is is nothing but a positive so- and I, I agree with what you said there about the left back, too, because any additional move that we make is going to give a huge indication as to what the plans, the immediate plans for Kyle Hebert are. If we sign a left back, then you could see Hebert more slotting in as depth to center back. And you can see him, uh, you can forecast him in like a Champions Cup, a U.S. Open Cup, and then spots start here and there because we still don't know the full health of Joachim Nilsson, his ability to go 90 consistently. We It's unproven in a city kit so far. But if we sign an additional center back, whether it's an immediate depth or even somebody to push nil Center and Parker, then you can see Hebert being slotted in more as that every day starting left back. Because also you remember back to when Anthony Markanic was signed and Lutz's comments of he was signed to be depth. He was signed to be a backup and he kind of just took the ball and ran with it. So mm-hmm. you don't necessarily want to count on Markanic yet. Um, you hope that he's going to progress at that level. Yeah. But I think any other move that we see, we'll have to wait and see for for that next move, left back or center back, to see probably where Kyle Hebert shakes out. One thing we don't have to wait for, really, is our goalkeeping core. That is locked and loaded for 2024, as Christian Oliveras was signed as our third goalkeeper for the 2025 season, with club options until 26 and 27. It's a pretty long-term possible plan. And I really like this deal because a few reasons, Chris. We saw... We saw some success from Oliveres, who started eight matches for city two in their first 12. He tallied a three, three and two mark. He had two penalty kick wins and a clean sheet. Kids only 21 years old. He was hurt for a good portion of last year. And that's kind of one of the only reasons that he didn't see more time with city two, but the amount of time, the amount of growth that he showed, he, he seems like he's one of those guys, the perfect example that we've talked about on flyover of developing the pathway to pro he's, he didn't come through the Academy. He's a Tacoma, Washington native, but he developed well with City, Two, and now he's getting that opportunity to be promoted. And his work, kind of just like uh, you, you look at the contracts for the defense, you can see a possible eye to the future here where Berkey is signed through 25, Lunt is signed through 24 with a possible option. So that contract of Olivera's signing through 25 with options, those options could easily be picked up if he's seen as a goalkeeper of the future. What do you think about picking up Olivera's? Uh, well, again, I think it's it makes a perfect
1: sense, especially when you think about, you know, Loon's signed through this year, Berkey's signed for two more years. Um, I almost equate it to a hockey situation where you might have a guy in the minor leagues who's ready to go, but do you want to bring him up to sit him or do you want to, you know, get him a chance to play? And so um, having Olivares and signing him now and basically, you know, I think, you know, all things considered. Um, one of my one of my things for that I was saying pretty much all season consistently was Berkey plays too much. He 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 is playing too many games. Uh, he even kind of expressed you know how worn down he felt you know kind of mm-hmm. two thirds of the way through the season with the heat and the the you know the humidity and. Um, I think, you know, by the, you know, we talk about depth and we talked about the center back position. I think by the end of the season, Parker and Berkey were, were toast. I think yeah. they played too many games um, and that's not a criticism of the staff, but um, you know, and, 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 you know, that's, it's definitely not, but I think they were just exhausted. Um, and so Berkey needs, you know, if, if they have faith in Lunt that, that he's the guy that can be the number two this year uh, that's going to play games uh, then you know they need to utilize him. Um, he can't go through the whole season and play two games again. Um, but if, if it's a situation where they're like, okay, we're gonna get Berkey his his amount of games that we want to play him, and then Lune will play some games, and then maybe get Oliveris in there to get him a taste of MLS. I think that's that that would be a positive, because
0: chances are 2025
1: he might be the number two guy.
0: And the increased workload and taking what they learned from last year is going to be an interesting storyline, mainly for the goalkeeping position, but also elsewhere, just to see how much rest the, the club is willing to give some of these players to try and get them fresh legs later in the season. It's It was a very interesting dynamic to see St. Louis so hot early. And then they didn't go cold as the season progressed necessarily, but they definitely cooled off a little bit. And then when they got to the playoffs, they obviously went ice cold. But juxtapose that to a team like Sporting KC, which you have to, where they started off so dreadfully and then they picked up steam, that's something St. Louis is learning from. And they're they're going to take those lessons to heart, but they're almost thrust into the fire even more because of Champions Cup. And so you do wonder if Oliveras, unlike Michael Creek, may see time starting for City at some point where Berkey and, Berkey and or Lunt are healthy scratches, and he just gets an opportunity that where they have maybe an entire two-month stretch where it's a match Every three or four days, if that scenario happens, if we progress in Champions Cup to the point where we're doing Champions Cup, U.S. Open Cup, MLS play, I, I definitely see Oliveras as getting at least one or two starts there in that segment of games.
1: Yeah, I think he'd have to. Um, I think, you you know, they I, I hate to to broach this topic, but I think that there may have been some chasing of records last year you know they were so close to breaking the all-time wins record um, and yet it almost makes you wonder, like, were they pushing for that so hard um, that it, you know, it hurt them later in the season or especially late in the season that they were trying to get these wins and trying to, you know, basically break every record that they possibly could um, and and say, hey, we're going to make this as memorable a first season as possible to the detriment of, you know, obviously the last four games were, were not the team that we saw for the majority of the year. Um And so, you know, as MLS Cup proved, you don't have to win your conference to win the Cup. You don't have to win your conference to be in the Cup. Um, You know, neither of the two teams playing for it finished first in their conference, you know. um, And in fact, I don't think either one of them finished second in their conference. So uh, it's important to have home field, but it's not the end of the world if you don't. And so, uh, especially with the current format. And so, as as Kansas City showed in the first round against us. So, um, yeah, I definitely think that uh, the learning from this year will help the staff. Um, I think will help Carnell and, you know, I think they've identified already that, Hey, you know, we have depth, we need to rely on it, uh, where we don't have depth. We need to go out and get pieces. And uh, I think we're going to lead into another guy we're about ready to talk to or talk about, um, that, that is clearly a move that they're making to add depth in a, a different area. So, uh, yeah, I think the more they can, you know, if, if my attitude on it is if you have guys that are on the team, that you think can play at the MLS level, then they need to play. And if they can't play, then they need to be replaced by guys who can And, you know, you need to trust in the the
0: team that you have. And the next deal that we made definitely pulled in a guy with MLS experience and proven at this level. Chris Durkin comes to St. Louis in a, at this point in our club's young history, a blockbuster trade. I think it's the the biggest (laughs) one we've made so far. Uh, St. Louis City SC has acquired United States youth national team and D.C. United defensive midfielder Chris Durkin for midfielder Jared Stroud, defender Lucas Bartlett, and $300,000 in 2024 general allocation money. Chris Durkin will become the first U22 initiative roster spot for St. Louis City. Durkin turns 24 in February. He played three years at the USL level while signing a homegrown deal with DC United at the age of 16. He was their youngest homegrown signing, and he made his MLS debut in March 2018, played a season and a half for DCU before being loaned to St. Trudence in the Belgian First Division, familiar club for anybody following St. Louis City natives or St. Louis City players who come from Europe where Klaus found some time, so they were teammates for a bit. Durkin completed a permanent transfer to St. Trinans in May 2020. He played three seasons for them through March 22. Afterwards, he came back to MLS, and this is where I I love his story because his pathway back is very MLS-y. Houston Dynamo used their number two pick in the allocation order back in 2022 to select Durkin to bring back. DC United then reacquired him through a trade for $325,000 of GAM. They signed him to a U22 deal. It's that same U22 deal that city acquires in the trade. And it runs through 2024 with a club option for 2025. Did you catch all that, Chris? Does all that make sense? <laughs> uh,
1: it was funny because I've seen, I've seen on X recently people saying, if you understand all this GAM TAM movement, <laughs> you know, then you're you know a bigger nerd than I am. Yep. Um, you know um yes it is probably the biggest trade we've seen so far you know uh, no offense to the 175,000 that we just uh, gave away to Nashville so uh you know he'll be missed um but uh yeah i mean this this trade is exactly the type of deal that uh, we needed. it um you know and and um yes so the the it is a very mls MLS-ish, mls-ish uh style trade and, and durkin's path is is about as mls as you can get with oh, yeah. uh, the trading of gam and you know, you've got and everything yeah, you've, yeah. Got, you've got gam. Everything.
0: you've got homegrowns u-22s you've got allocation order i mean it, it checks a yep. lot of boxes
1: yeah, short of him becoming a DP, he's got pretty much everything else. You know, uh, all the other boxes are checked. And if he gets a foreign green card, then we can uh, use an international slot on him too. So, there you know, you it's, it, yeah, exactly. So
0: so what do you think this does for City? Because, you know, at face value, you're sending a midfielder, you're sending a defender, and you're getting a midfielder. Well, we- I said it when it happened. I'll oh, go ahead, Matt. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, tell me how oh. you think.
1: Okay, so when, when it happened, I said you're trading from depth to get a guy at the one position we had no depth at, um, at all. Um, you know, and, and so, yes, you know, all, all respect to Stroud and, and, and to Bartlett guys who will forever be part of the first season club. Um, they will always be, you know, part of that memorable season, Um, I'm more, you know, obviously excited for Bartlett to potentially maybe get more minutes than he would have seen here. I don't think he was going to have that much opportunity to play. Um, you know, even with the, the need for, you know, extra minutes and stuff with all the extra games. Um, and I think Stroud, you know, as, as love, hate, as many people had with that particular player, um, it's a guy who I think as the season went on. The reason he was getting so many minutes was not because necessarily of his improved play. I think it was because Alm was hurt. I think that was the number one reason why you saw more of Stroud is because Rasmus Alm was not available. Um All, you know, hoping that Alm is healthy and his hernia is taken care of and all that stuff this year. Um, I think they look at it and say, well, we have Celio who grew by leaps and bounds, you know, from the player he was at the beginning of the year to the end of the year. We have a guy like Thorson, who it's going to be now his second year in the league, uh, having got a kind of a taste of it in the the back half of the first season. Um, You have guys who can fill that role that Stroud played. Uh, So you're trading from depth there. You're trading from depth from Bartlett for the one position we had no depth at, which was center defensive midfield. All you had was Blom, um, which, you know, he had kind of an up and down season uh, when he's great. He's great. Um, but, you know, obviously he had COVID. He had an illness. He had a, a you know, he pulled his groin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think he had a lot of difficulties when it was really cold. I think he had a lot of difficulties when it was super hot and humid uh south africa is not that temperature you know you know you'd think it's hot but it's not it's a coastal country um so you know i think he struggled in the heat and humidity um and when he was out of the lineup and you can probably speak to this it was very noticeable that
0: we had nobody who could really replace him as a six and throughout the season we tried different things depending on uh who was available and just how long we are without bloom so you're talking about At that point in time last year, we had Edu Leuven and Jabulu Blom as our double pivot if we were running a 4-2-3-1. Lutz had always described Blom as the missing piece that the defensive mid that we needed. He's always described Edu Leuven more as an engine, a box-to-box. So you see his his mindset for those two players. He straight up called Chris Durkin a young, talented defensive midfielder. And so in his his quotes in the article, hardworking, ambitious, fighter mentality, that exact kind of player that you want as the 1B to Jabulu Bloom or the 1A to Blom's 1B. But last year, it was needing to convert an attacking midfielder in Indiana Vasilev to play defensive midfield, a position that he's never played before. If you remember last preseason, we were talking about seeing Indiana Vasilev and AZ Jackson as our defensive midfielders in preseason because we had nobody else. We were waiting for Blom to come. That's how much how much pressure, how much we needed Blome in that lineup and how much we were expecting him to carry the workload for the defensive midfield. We were converting other players and already in preseason just to fill a gap until he got here. And so when he went down, we were looking at keeping Indiana Vassilov there. We were looking at thrusting Miggy Perez into action for an extended period of time where now you've uh, you've got the excitement of Perez, but you also have people saying he wasn't ready for it. And that's neither here nor there. At this point, it was he had the ability to play and he was a great stopgap for getting us to where we needed to be. At this point, you're also having Tyson Pierce on the roster, though we don't expect him to necessarily play a huge feature role next season and definitely not as the defensive midfielder number six. But this midfield now, it's bolstered by the fact that, yeah, Indiana Vasilev can still play there in a pinch, but you also unlock his ability to return to the attacking mid, play more of a starring role or at least swap on with AZ Jackson or with Nuke Thoris and Rasmus Alm. Play a feature role in the attacking mid, no matter what competition you're in. It adds to the depth up there. But when you're looking at whether it's going to be a 4-4-2, a 4-2-3-1, having Durkin and Blom complement each other in a double pivot or in uh, sub roles for each other, it gives you so much additional flexibility throughout the season you don't need Blohm to go 90 every week you don't need you might not need bloom to even feature every single week which just means you're going to prolong his ability to go to the end of the season in addition to what he's learned about himself and how to handle the heat and humidity of st louis there's a lot to like about being able to bolster this one position and as good as we thought, as good as I thought Jared Stroud was last year in it, for large portions of the season, as good as we both know Lucas Bartlett was for at least a two-month period of time where he was starting after Hebert moved to left back, the fact is that we are heavy in both of those spots. Heavy enough to where the loss is completely viewed as dealing from positions of strength to bolster an area of need. And that's, that's almost straight up exactly what this is. We're going to talk about the depth chart here pretty soon, but without Stroud, you're still looking at an attacking midfield that contains Nuffy Thorson, AZ Jackson, Rasmus Alm, Celio Pompeu, Indiana Vasilev, Tomas Ostrak for two or three positions, depending on your formation. Now you're looking at a defensive midfield that will contain Edu Leuven, Jabulu Blom. Uh, Chris Durkin, Miggy Perez, and, and, and a growing Miggy Perez. So there's a lot to love about that ability, knowing how important it is at any given time to the style of play St. Louis has.
1: Yeah. It, what it does, it's almost the first domino, you know, because what it does is it allows you on any given match day to assuming mom's there, right? Because he's going to be gone with international duty, presumably. And, and, and it's, you know, at some point, you know, potentially, you, hope. you hope. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you hope. Uh, you know, the South African coach is not necessarily the biggest <laughs> Blom fan in the world, but you know, it is what it is. Um, so, you know, that right there means hey, he's not around. You know, and and you can always uh, you can always hope that somebody's not going to get hurt all year. Uh, but you know, as we saw last year with the injuries, injuries do happen. You know, and and sometimes extended injuries happen. And so, having the ability, let's say everybody's healthy, to say okay, you can play them together. You know, you can play Durkin and Blom at the same time. You can play, you know, if you're going to play a diamond, which I know a lot of people are not super wild about, but um, you can, you know, you can play one and, and rest the other one. Um, you can, if you're going to rest one and still play two, you know, CDMs, you can slide living back there or, you know, and what that does is it allows, like you said, guys like Vasilev to maybe go back to where they should be playing or the, or that natural um, position that they have and where they're not being pressed into, into duty. Because when you think about it, this team last year had a center back playing left back and Kyle Hebert had a attacking midfielder type of Vasilev, which I think he's pretty versatile, but he got pushed into playing a role where he's not really used to playing it. And at the end of our season, our starting right back is a midfielder, which is a Watts. And so, um, you know, Watts to me is more of a midfield type. And so he got pressed into duty as, as a right back. And so, um, yes, I think th- this is the first domino that says, OK, now we have a two deep spot for CDM uh, at the six where we can we can plug in one of those guys or both of those guys, depending on who we're playing. Um, and it allows other moves to get made or other people to return to position because, you know, it snowballs because now when you think about things like, OK, is AZ Jackson going to be here all year? You know, there's all these rumors about potentially him, you know, uh, being uh, sought after by European teams. Okay, well, you better have somebody ready to go, you know, and and if you have Vasilev playing, you know, backing up center defensive midfield all year, he's not ready to kind of step into those shoes. Now who's doing it? Right. So I think it's this is this was the perfect kind of opener. Um, and the perfect, you know, first move to make as far as acquiring somebody this season, because it fit the one thing that they didn't have any answers for, which was what do we do when Blom is gone? And, and they were always scrambling all season long. And this is perfect. And, and you know, he's going to provide that stability at the six. He also has probably a little more uh, offensive capability than Blom does, even though you're not going to ask him to do that. Um, but it's always nice to have a guy who can threaten, uh, threaten the goal. Um, And the other thing, too, that I don't think, and and maybe you can touch on this and maybe I'm mistaken, that I don't ever hear anybody talk about with Blom is he is a guy who plays a very physical style of soccer. Okay, Mm -hmm. He's a very physical guy who's also five foot eight, 150 pounds. That wears on you no matter who you are, if you're a small guy playing physical, you know, and and um and you know, I I think with some of the other guys that season with you know, you also talk about the travel and just all the stuff that goes into it, his first year in the league, and it's a much more physical league than a lot of guys who are coming from overseas expect it to be. Um, but he's a he's a smaller guy who plays a very physical style, and that wears on you. And so to have the ability to say, Okay, you know what let him sit this one let you know plug Durkin in there we're playing together and and that way you're not totally relying on him at, at the six I think it's great
0: Jabula Blum is an interesting kind of case study in uh, our young club's history of bringing on a player late in the preseason kind of the only player who we had to do this and he was acclimating to such a different environment a different climate in a lot of different ways culturally uh, the weather related but he, he said multiple times throughout the year how difficult what it was, the transition to play in America, in St. Louis, away from friends and family. But also at the end of the season, he was alluding to things that is, are as simple as nutrition and trying to find things that work for him here and, and adapt his body uh, to eating and drinking right and to everything that goes into preparing yourself physically. And, and you could tell that in similar ways that we talked about Berkey and Parker just being burned out, you can tell that the season wore on him significantly. So having him learn from those experiences, coming back for a second season, in addition to the, the depth that Durkin and the, the kind of relief that Durkin can provide him, that's going to be huge for this club. And Durkin is going to offer, I mean, he's six foot, 165 pounds, so he's a taller guy. He's going to offer a different look, a different feel at the defensive mid, he does have impressive passing ranges. He is an impressive defender. He can also play a little bit on the right side. So if you need him to move over a little bit, maybe he can offer some flexibility. Like he he does a lot, he did a lot for DC United to progress the ball at the field. And when you look at some of his stats and try to figure out what kind of a player he is, he's his as compared to midfield, if you look at FB Ref, he's in the 88th percentile of touches in the attacking penalty area. He's in the 91st percentile in the progressive passes. So this is a guy who's good at moving the ball up the field. He's quick. He's able to he's able to progress himself high up the field. And so you wonder how that's going to work for St. Louis if, if he's alongside Blown, This might provide a little bit of extra flexibility to what Leuven would try to do sometimes alongside of him in that box-to-box role. But the, the, the level of freedom that we're going to give Durkin is going to be really interesting to me. And it, it's going to come off of how we play him alongside Blome or in place of Blome and how that cascade affects the rest of the team. And we'll talk about it on the depth chart, but I'm just really interested to see if they, if they're intending to complement each other or if they're more intending to be that one, a one B options. So that's, that's the thing that I think I'm most interested in when it comes to Durkin.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, from, from everything I've seen of him and, Uh, read about him and and watch clips and, you know, um, know, all of a sudden he turns into a guy you're super interested in because now he's on city. The, you know, the ability, his, his distribution and his passing is what kind of excites me because, you know, for, for everything that Blom does well, and he does a lot of stuff well, I think his, the pace on his passes a lot of times is I think is something that he could probably improve on. Um, It it just, I don't know if it was the style that he was used to playing, uh, but it just seemed like a lot of times we were asking him to distribute um, more than we probably should have um, because we have guys who can, you know, I think to me, Lubin is, is, is the kind of your guy who he's, he's the guy who needs to be distributing the ball. He, he reads the field so well and he you know he makes passing you know he, he makes beautiful passes um but he is your quarterback um you know and you, az is almost to, to use another sport equivalent is he's aZ jackson is more of your point guard on a fast break he's your transition guy to get the ball and move it quickly upfield because he has all that speed and quickness uh whereas blom i think sometimes you know we we need him to do a specific job in a specific role and if we don't ask too much of him like we don't need him to become this great distributor of the ball, because I I don't know if that's in his game right now. Um, But with Durkin, I think he's maybe a a hybrid of, okay, he can defend, you know, like Blom does and be that that central defensive midfielder that we need. But also have a little bit of that Louven distribution ability of, you know, helping the transition game, getting the ball to guys like AZ, getting the ball to, you know, guys like Acelio on the wing, you know, and helping you know, break through that kind of initial wall of defense that a lot of teams started to fall into against us, especially later on in the season. So I, I think it's nothing but positive for for the Dirk and Booth.
0: We're starting to get into it. So let's dive full on into where this all leads us. Um, you know, we have one one trade before we get to the depth chart. So let's quickly cover that. There was another trade that we made to acquire an international roster slot in exchange for $175,000 in GAM with Nashville SC, who just was wheeling and dealing on international <laughs> slots. They sent, they sent five international slots away for a total of $825,000 to, I think it was New England Revolution st louis city and there was another club in there that i don't have pulled up but they had a they just they started sending sending international slots away like crazy nycfc was the other one yeah that's right. or, or, nycfc charlotte and st louis city charlotte. and it was a, a modest haul we didn't overpay we i think we were the only club that acquired one the other two teams acquired two two um we paid a little bit of a premium for just being one but only like twenty five thousand dollars extra and it, it, this to me it it doesn't do much right now, but this is Lutz's M.O. This is Lutz acquiring a slot that he doesn't actively need right at this moment, but he either has an immediate eye on or he's keeping it in his back pocket for flexibility. I, I think back, Chris, to last summer when we had a, a few extra international roster slots. And on the very last day, I think it was, of the transfer window, we sent that slot to Atlanta for 100000 something in 2024 gam. game. So he kept that slot until he knew he didn't need it and couldn't use it. It was just an extra slot just in case he could land that deal and bring in somebody to help fill it right now. St. Louis has eight international players, assuming nobody has a green card, which we're going to find out beginning of January. I promise as soon as we have access to the club, we're going to find out. But right now we have eight international players to take up those eight slots that we have. And we have two players on loan. Pedro and Jensen are on loan until the end of June if we want to recall them, we need to have an open international slot for them to occupy. This at least gives us one open international roster slot going forward. Whether we use it on a player in the transfer window in January or we keep it open until the summer for one of those two players, that's where I view this international roster slot. It's nothing sexy right now, but it it provides an additional uh, flexibility that we need. It's much better to have it and not need it than the other way
1: around. Like um you know to find yourself in a position where you desperately need to get one of those and then you don't have it available for a particular player that you might have a, a, an immediate need for or have a you know a deal in place you know if we you know uh it, it's much better to have that flexibility exactly like you said you know and and whether they're looking at somebody right now uh, that could potentially, you know, fill a spot that they, you know, that they need that that international spot for, or they don't have, um, you know, anybody in mind. Um, although Lutz was in Aberdeen <laughs> yesterday, basically hanging out with Derek Ray, who knows what he was, who, who knows who he was looking at, but you never know. Uh, yeah. You never know. Um, and that's what I said initially is I'm very interested to see if this is something that's leading to something, or if this is more of, stick it in the back pocket, and if we need it, then it's available, whether it's now, whether it's, you know, in the summer transfer window. Like, um, yeah, again, like you said, you know, we, we're waiting kind of patiently to see, okay, you know, what it, what's coming, and you don't know because this isn't, you know, basketball, baseball, hockey, where you know everybody that could potentially be in the league. You watch them yep. in other sports, in college, or whatever – they can pull somebody out of some place you've never heard of, and all of a sudden he's you know he's playing left wing for you, or you know, i.e. Nokfithorison. How many people knew who Thorson was before they you know expressed interest in him, or the rumor was that they were interested in looking at him? So, um, so yeah, I think it's much you know. There was no tribute uh, video for the hundred seventy five thousand in gam. I mean, you know, so uh, best of luck to him in in Nashville. Um, we wish yeah, him well in his future yeah, endeavors we, we, we do yeah maybe he'll get more use in nashville so uh so yeah I, I definitely think it's it's worth having that spot available whether they use it or not who knows so
0: you know this this takes us straight through to the depth chart conversation because that flexibility that we have talking about how durkin's going to fit in with Blome. We, we basically have the same number that we started with at after those uh, end-of-season roster moves. We're, we're still at 25 rostered players with two additional players on loan. So where we sit right now, as we record this on December 14th, St. Louis City has the ability to sign five more players in this offseason. They have two on loan that will come up at the end of June, so they'll need to figure out something to do with them if they fill all five. Personally, I don't think they're going to fill all five. I think they're going to have flexibility. Again, going forward, whether it's Signing a homegrown midseason or bringing back one or two players off loan, I don't see us filling all of these five open roster slots. I think that uh, we do have areas of need, and so when I look at my wish list going forward to this off season, whether it's in the re-entry draft stage two, whether it's through a trade, whether it's through a transfer from outside of MLS, I want st- to. I still want to see us bolster our backline. I would prefer it to. Target the left back position, and I would like to see Kyle Hebert see a little more time at center back. Um, my wish list starts at left back, and I think right back is another area that I I think we could bolster. Um, but I I'm overall happy right now with where we sit in our midfield and where we sit with our attacking midfielder and with our wings. Even I'm happy because I see to borrow a, 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 a I keep doing this I'm borrowing a John Jose Lock <laughs> term. Um, Nuke Thorsen is essentially like a new signing to me because of what Lutz had reinforced last year, that he was brought on to do exactly what the other internationals did in 22, which is get acclimated, learn the system, and then hit the ground running in 2024. Nuke V Thorsen is signed to a multi-year deal. So this, this is his start. This is his chance. And sending Jared Stroud out, I see Nuke V Thorsen as either a primary option in the attack and a two striker. He's going to push for a starting spot or as our starting left mid. I think he's a, a completely viable option up there along with a guy like Salio. And I love what having, I would love to have a healthy Rasmus Alm back. Let me say that. I think just like Joachim Nilsson, we we haven't seen a fully healthy Rasmus Alm in quite some time. And he, he he his return will be such a boost on that right side. It'll open up our center midfield for AZ Jackson, Indiana Vasilev, Tomas Ostrak, all of whom can also play those wide positions. There's tons of mixing and matching that can occur over there. You've already got four deep up front with Klaus, Joachini, Sam Edenron, and Caden Glover. We talked about the central midfield earlier. We talked about center back and left back. Uh, Jake Norwinski and Akil Watts as our right back combo. I do think there's an area of improvement there. I I, you know, both of their contracts are coming up, so there could be a long-term option. So fullbacks and anything else that we might do for depth going into all these competitions that we have?
1: Yeah. I I think that when you talk about the right back position, you know, Nerwinski had certainly had his moments. He had that beautiful cross uh, Mm -hmm. to Klaus in the, uh, I think it was a Minnesota game uh, in the pouring down rain. Yeah. uh, For that. He pointed. pointed. Yeah. He he guided Klaus, like go, go ahead this ball and I'm about to hit. It was perfect. Um, And so Nerwinski certainly had his moments both good and bad. Uh, And I think Watts as well had, you know, he is obviously um, more of an offensive player or offensive minded player. um, You know, who's, who's been kind of forced into playing that right back role Uh, to me, if they're going to get somebody at the right back, it better be some, to me, at least it should be somebody who's better than either of those guys. Mm -hmm. Because if it's not, then you don't need that depth if you've already got those two guys and they're your one and two, whatever combination you want to play them in. Uh, unless you're going out to get a starter uh, to say, okay, we're going to have here's our new right back with Nerwinski as the as the as the you know one B or the two, and then Watts shifting back more into a midfield role who also can play right back when if necessary. Um, I, I think that you know to me that that I, I wouldn't go get another guy who's like either one of them. Um, because now, what you don't want to have is is three or four guys who are all basically the same or at the same level, um, and then because then you're kind of flipping a coin, like okay, who's hot at the time, who needs minutes, yep. you know. But to me, if you're going to get a right back, it, it needs to be a starting right back. Um, and I almost looked at it the same way with a left back. If you're you know if you're not happy with you know Hebert playing there or Marcanic needs more time to develop or whatever, uh, go get a starter. But do you really need to get just another depth piece? at those positions, maybe, but, you know, uh, not necessarily going to be a high priority yeah. um, with the midfield. Like you said, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been uh, on the Rasmus on bandwagon since game one. Uh, I think he was the missing piece down the stretch. Uh, I think his reads on our pressing style and his reads of when to press and when not to was so important and was very noticeable when he wasn't there. Um I think he he he's awesome at making the the decision of okay, I should press up and or not and you know Klaus is another guy who does a really good job at that, and he you know he often guides like, hey, let's press or let's not i think alm was always in sync with him with that and 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 when he was gone with his injury, I think it was very noticeable um and so yeah, uh having you know hopefully a full healthy season not alm having Thorison, like you said, um, you know, I think our midfield attacking midfield depth is great. Um, I'm interested to see if they can unlock Ostrak a little bit more this year mm-hmm. uh, because I don't really know what he is. Um, you know, I think he got pushed into kind of being a late sub uh, in a lot of games, you know, coming on at the 75th minute or the 70th minute or the 80th minute. And it's really hard to kind of get as a player, I, I imagine it, it has to be very difficult to get in any kind of game rhythm at all when you're seeing 10 minutes a game or 15 minutes a game. And, you know, are you being asked to defend a lead? Are you being asked to try and score like, you know, and, and press if you're behind. Um, so I don't really know if we saw really what Ostrak is. Um, I don't know if he's a, an all light or if he's, you know, a more of a defensive mind. I just don't know because we just didn't see that much of him to really kind of get a, get a good read on it. Celio is the guy that that you know I uh, was a little skeptical skeptical of in the early part of the season because I I wondered if his possession dribbling style fit with our overall team concept of moving the ball quickly up the field and, and getting, you know, direct approach and, and getting shots on goal and, and really kind of attacking. And a lot of times I felt, especially early on, he was more of a black hole where he would get the ball. Everything would slow down because he would try to beat people off the dribble. Um, and I think he did an awesome job of, of modifying his game just a little bit um, to do everything he does, which he does very well, but do it faster. Um, and I think he, I think you know, by the end of the season, he was a guy where I was like, man, he's going to get way more minutes next year because he was phenomenal down the stretch, you know, and and in the playoff games against KC, you could see how dangerous he was, uh, and I think he just made a couple small adjustments to how quickly he does things and executes, you know.
0: I think the the amount of players that we're talking about here highlights one thing that I I want to kind of have as a takeaway as we get ready for 2024. And we're going to talk about this a lot next year. And it's something that I noticed a lot when we had uh, perceived rotated lineups in 2023. And that's a a sentiment that we're punting or we're sending out the B team or we're not prioritizing this match over this other match. And if there's something that City fans are going to have to get used to in 2024, it's rotation. And it's, it's a lot of it. It's mixing and matching lineups. It's seeing a not consistent 11 game in and game out because of a so many competitions, but B we saw what happened this year down the stretch. And to mitigate that you have to keep guys fresh throughout the season. And that doesn't mean playing 33 of 34 games. That means playing 28 of 34 games. You know, you're going to have consistent times throughout the year where we're going to have different looks. And that, that doesn't mean any single thing about our desire to win a game or, you know, you can make the arguments in cup competitions because they're win or go home in a lot of senses, but especially in MLS league play. And and I think we're going to have an interesting conversation if and when we don't get off to near as hot to start as we did this season. But I do keep in mind what we talked about at the beginning, which is down the stretch is what matters. And next yeah. year, next year, St. Louis, if there's one thing they have to really figure out, it's how to maintain and build into the playoffs as opposed to fizzling out or letting letting the hot start fade to an extent and then this depth is is one of the answers to that and so one of the points you made I think speaking to that is the left back and center back conversation I, I agree that if you're going to bring in a right back you bring in a top tier right back or you don't bring in a right back at all left back and center back when I mentioned whatever move we make because I do think we're going to make a move right in those one of those two positions the move we make is going to dictate what Kyla Hebert does and I see us doing one of two things either we sign a a high level left back who is from day one known as the immediate starter, or we sign depth at center back. I I don't see us signing any high level center back that will truly push Joachim Nielsen or Tim Parker. I think their jobs are as secure as anyone on the teams right now, similar to Berkey, Leuven and Klaus. I see left back as entirely up for grabs. And if it, if we find somebody and we fill that spot with a true attacking minded two-way player fullback that can also probably play wing back, then I think it gives Kyle Hebert some ability to go back to center back and, and rotate in with Joachim Nielsen, provide that depth. Because right now we only really have three center backs if you're sliding Kyle Hebert out on the left side. Three center backs is not enough going into this, this set of competition. So Kyle Hebert has that flexibility to go back and forth, but where his role is going to fall is going to depend on what signing we put into place between those two positions. No, for sure. Um, you know, and all of this comes with the caveat of assuming they're gonna play four in the
1: backlit next year. You know, True. because there is no guarantee of that. You know, they might roll out a you know, a three center back midfield or a three center back, you know, uh formation uh on at certain times, um, which would be very surprising if they don't sign anybody, you know, because you're really stretching your depth there. Um, but the other thing too to keep in the back of your mind, and we touched on this a little earlier, and when I talked about towards the end of the season last year, you know. Parker is not a a younger guy. You know, he's he's an older guy, and um, how many miles are you going to get out of his legs and still have him be the player he is and can be towards the end of the season? You need to make sure that he's getting his rest. You know, I think you know again. Mm -hmm. I think they wore him down last year. Um, So yeah, I completely agree that you know if if they go out and get a, a center back, then you know again we may touch on him, we may not. You know, they just let a center back go you know, in, in John bell. And so, and Lucas Bartlett and Lucas Bartlett now, okay. You know, you can say the Bartlett trade was kind of facilitated because you really, you needed needed a center defensive midfielder more than you needed, you know, a fourth center back or, you know, whatever you want to term him as. Um, but with, you know, losing Bartlett and losing bill um, mm-hmm. you wonder if, okay, they've got somebody they've identified that like, Hey, okay, we can, we can bring in one guy who can kind of fit, you know, and get minutes, that's going to kind of replace both those guys, you know, because Bell didn't see hardly any minutes at all last year, um, mm-hmm. and Bartlett played more out of necessity than he did really pushing like, hey, I'm playing so well that you got to play me. You know, uh, there was a little bit of that, and you know, he had a nice run for a couple months where he was playing very well, um, but it was he he got that position more out of necessity, you know, with Nielsen being gone.
0: The um, obvious the obvious answer though Chris sorry to interrupt you the oh, obvious answer to center back is Michael Vensel from City Vintzel, 2. Yeah. So if you want depth at center back and you want to give some flexibility to formations looking at a possible 3 in the back with wing backs uh, or even Kyle Hebert going back and forth Michael Vensel provides that depth at center back. So when you yeah. look at when you look at the level of that Bell and Bartlett brought I don't see much missing or losing steam compared to bringing up Michael Vensel who did so well with City 2 last year yeah he was you know fantastic um and you know the
1: mo was a second probably speak more because he's a city two die hard who was almost at every single game but um but that's was great in the limited amount of, of of games that i saw him play um yes he could be that guy he could be he could certainly be a guy where um you know you could get him some minutes you know he can he can play off of uh, one of the other more experienced center backs and the, the veteran guys, like you could see him paired with a Parker who's going to give him that, you know, MLS kind of background experience, guidance, you know, Tim's been in the league for a long time. Um, yes, you could certainly see that. And in that case, if they're comfortable with him uh, and they're like, okay, Venzel is going to be kind of the fourth guy uh, at center back. Um, and we haven't even brought up, yarrow who i think is back right he's, yeah he's you know, back so yeah so um he's another depth piece who you know he he played very well at times um mm-hmm. so yeah Vensel could be the guy and and that would allow you to say okay maybe we're maybe we're okay there or maybe we need to add one one extra piece uh you know um and and go out and get a left back if, if that's the route they choose to go and then you know i agree with you in that you know
0: what Hebert's position is next year is going to be dictated by who they would bring in. Honestly, at, for Wenzel, Wenzel, we know he just signed with, he still signed with a contract with city too. Yeah. I could easily see a scenario where he signed to a short-term affiliate loan to come up to play in the U S open cup or something like that. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, you know, and that's the thing
1: is, is you wonder, you know, I'm assuming, and I haven't heard, but assuming they're doing League's cup again, or they, have they announced it yet? they haven't announced the schedule,
0: but it's, I I assume they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, okay. So you figure, okay, we have, triple c you know in february we have uh u.s open cup we have League's cup you know and so it's a lot of competitions you know are you going to see some of these guys you know like we saw last year with klein get loaned up you know because mm-hmm. we needed a body uh are you going to see a, a caden will there be a caden, caden glover sighting you know at some point during the season because of depth and rest and you know and and that's the thing too as you talked earlier you know a couple minutes ago about You know, people will need to go into this season with the understanding that, hey, you're going to see a whole bunch of different lineups. Uh, this isn't baseball. We're going to roll out the same nine every time, Right. Um, you know, or, or six times out of seven. You're going to see people, you know, move in and out of the lineup. And that's a necessity because they're playing so many games and the weather here is, is so hot. Um, we're not in San Diego where it's going to be 70 degrees all the time. Um, you know, those guys are going to have an advantage in 2025 um, just from a weather perspective. But um, it's it's going to be an interesting, um, you know, season to follow just on how he manages his personnel. You know, because you think about up top, right? We have, you know, Nico, we have Sam, we have Mm -hmm. Klaus, we have Glover if he gets an opportunity to come up and play. Mm -hmm. Um, What combination works there? You know, what combination, you know, who's your energy guy off the bench? You know, like the role that Stroud was originally kind of doing before Alam got hurt. That's right. Um, It's, it's going to be fascinating and to, to see. And so I'm curious, like, like you said, if there is a big move to be made, which I don't know if they will do it, you know, they still have a DP slot open, um, you know, and and is that a possibility to to go out and get somebody that will be a starter, you know? Because to me, if if you're gonna make a if you're gonna make depth moves, that's fine, um, but there are weaknesses they have addressed one already in in getting Durkin, um, but if you can get a talent upgrade at a left back or to me even a right back or A center back wouldn't necessarily be a starter over Nielsen or Parker, but again, you have to always keep an eye on the future. And like you said, if if Hebert's your guy going forward once Parker's not here anymore, um, you always have to be looking for that next season down the road and, and to help yourself as much this year. But if you can find a guy that, you know, and they have a lot of those guys who are in that 26, 27 range who are probably not going to Europe at this point in their careers uh who are you know you have younger guys like an az who might and you know people have even thrown out sam's name potentially for that uh, to go overseas but uh to find guys who are in that 26 27 year old range who you can sign to a multi-year deal who are going to be here in the mls um yeah i think i think that for sure um if you have an upgrade at start over left back then you have to make that you know yeah i think you do so uh yeah and and you know just to 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 touch on like with all those games um you know you have a situation where um and i think they tried to do this a little bit where you you know you can give Klaus a game off and let him come in in the last 15 if we need a go mm-hmm. you know you can get you know it they you know it's almost like um you know when you have uh you know pitchers in in baseball who uh they'll say well that was their rest day anyways so they're gonna they're gonna throw a little bit you know they might throw an inning or two or that was gonna be their their you know their workout day um you know you can you can give guys time off and still have them make an impact in a particular match right you don't yeah. have to start everybody all the time you know and that's so, right
0: yeah and and I think I think that's that's one of the big takeaways and I think that's so keeping in mind um all of this necessary depth and kind of where we're going from here, there's there's a handful of things I think we need to remember before training camp starts. And kind of as we look through the holiday season, look at uh, what's coming up in the offseason, and we, we've talked about what we think St. Louis City needs, but uh, how can they acquire them? So there's not a whole lot of offseason activities left the re-entry draft stage one is over. St. Louis did not select a player. In fact, only two MLS teams made moves, Austin FC and, uh, sorry, Seattle and Austin FC. They each selected a player, Seattle Sounders selecting John Bell as one of the two players in the re-entry stage one. Um, no other moves were made, according to the announcement by the Seattle Sounders. So St. Louis stood pat. The There's one more round of re-entry, and we've talked on our socials about what re-entry is. So if you're listening to this and you don't know it's, it's basically free agency light, and it's in draft form. You you don't qualify for free agency. You've only had you've had at least one year of service in MLS, and you're at least 22 years old. But you're, you're allowed to be selected in a draft, a two-round draft by teams. You're not a f- true free agent. It's kind of like the Rule 5 draft, restricted free agency, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but there's one more round of that on December 21st, next Thursday. Other than that, it's the Super Draft on December 19th, Tuesday of next week. And St. Louis City is not – I would not expect much from that. We've already traded away our first-round draft pick to Colorado for the Anthony Marcanic deal. Uh, last year, we traded away our third-round pick. That's not valued by the club, at least not at this juncture in the game. It's, it's our academy. It's developing from within, and it's using other mechanisms. So yeah. don't plan on too much there. But I do want to set the stage for what kind of roster flexibility St. Louis has. And the, you alluded to this a little bit ago, Chris – in that we, sou- we signed a U-22 player, so that's great. There are a handful of different roster classifications that are important to know in what St. Louis has available going into the rest of the offseason with five open roster slots, like I said. We have two designated players under under contract, Klaus and Leuven. We have one open DP slot. We have we could fill that with a senior DP or a young DP, a twenty three age, age 23 or y- younger. We have two open U-22 slots at this point in time. And we have a decent amount of allocation money, if I, my estimates are correct, that we can spend. The unfortunate thing is today, as we're recording this, there were no changes to the overall allocation pot. So the, the previously agreed upon increases in GAMTAM and salary budget charge, those all still apply. They're incremental increases according to the CBA. There's nothing that the, the league voted to add or do anything differently outside of the bounds of the CBA. So business as usual there. So we have we have a handful of of flexible roster slots that the MLS mechanisms allow for us. We talked about the depth. Anything else you want to cover about you know what to look for this off season? Well, I, you know, just first off, I know we touched on it a little bit.
1: Um, I'm happy for John Bell. Um, you obviously don't you know you, you don't want to lose players to to potential rivals or uh, you know the old adage you don't trade in your division things like yeah. that. Um, I'm I'm happy for John Bell uh, because hopefully he's going somewhere he, where he can get minutes. Um, I felt bad that he did not get a, a real opportunity here. Not, not that, you know, uh, you know he deserved it or anyone else. It's just you want these guys to be able to be a, in a position where they can play and they get minutes. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, that's a different uh, outlook. You know, there's a lot of people in St. Louis, you know, as much as um, St. Louis has our, you know, the rich soccer history that we have and, and uh, you know, all the, the things that we always talk about with the history of the game, there are a lot of people who are new to soccer or new to MLS and, I think sometimes people don't really grasp the fact that these guys have a very limited window of making such an impact. They all want to go to Europe. That's no secret. They always want to play in the best five leagues in the world. Um, And they have such a limited um, opportunity to do that, uh, to show what they have, wherever they are and to be buried on a roster where you're just not getting minutes Um, for a guy who's on the Jamaican national team, by the way, um, you know, I'm glad he's going somewhere where he can get a chance to potentially play and, and, uh, you know, and make, you know, and, and make an impact for himself, for his own career. Uh, same way with Kip Keller, you know, Kip Keller got moved to you know Cincinnati, uh, and, and, you know, that's a local guy. And I know there was some rumblings about maybe we should try to, to sign him as a center back piece, whether it's for city two or not. I think you guys talked about that on one of the last podcasts, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's you know a situation where again, you know, you're hoping the guys go in there to get minutes and not just get stashed some you know on the roster somewhere. Yeah. Um, as far as the off season, you know, again, like you touched on, uh, the the super going to be, you know, a non-event for most city fans probably. Um, the the you know the reentry thing today was you know I, I saw a few people asking can we watch this yeah. somewhere and i'm like really i was like that's may not that might not be really the most exciting viewing um you know and, and that's how
0: hardcore city fans are though right they I, hear I get it i get we're involved it, in something we, and we i will be guilty of the fact that i did look up is can you watch the reentry graph <laughs> it's in yes, your search history Talk yes it, it is
1: um so you know that's going to be kind of uh, a, a not you know the, the the super draft will be a non-event and and like you said They don't seem to be putting all that much importance on it. Um, I don't know if that's just because, hey, we don't have a first rounder. Um, So, you know, it is what it is. I don't know if our previous first rounder has impacted that attitude at all, which maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. Um, You don't know. And it couldn't have helped. Yeah. I mean, and that's the big mystery is, is what happened with the Owen O'Malley situation. Uh, Did that, you know, kind of, you know, and, and again, you're also talking about a sporting director who's coming into a league, you know, he's, I don't think he's ever worked in a league that, has a draft, you know, you know, um, none of the Euro leagues do a draft. Not as an executive. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's something that, that I don't know how much stock they put in it as as opposed to, like you said, the Academy and and youth development and and that stuff. Um, you know, the, the, the other question I had for you, and you might know this because I certainly tried to look at it, is City doing the Coachella Valley thing because they're still listed as one of the teams participating, but they're not on the schedule? So
0: yeah, there's been no official announcement, and that that's the the preseason tournament that was supposed to coincide now with Concacaf Champions Cup. They're still listed their logo on the front, but they have no matches scheduled, and uh, in fact, every other team who's involved there has their schedule laid out. The city is not on that. I I would not be shocked to see an official announcement here soon, whether it's the crest removed on Coachella or we hear something at the beginning of January that they're no longer participating. I would not bank at all on city featuring there because of Concacaf Champions Cup.
1: And and while I got you, while well, I'm you know happy to to be here and, and get to <laughs> ask you questions uh, in uh, on, on video, what was your reaction to getting Houston in the Triple C? Uh, was it more of? Yeah. I wish we would have gotten somebody new or interesting to play against, or was it? Hey, these are teams that we could potentially actually, you know, do something with and and make waves and and make an impact in this tournament. What was your initial reaction to to the Houston?
0: Yep, that was the other big thing that that happened. And um, you know, I I I don't know what I was really expecting. I think I was just more in the happy to be there mindset, just watching it unfold, watching the draw live, and just knowing St. Louis City was in there. And I I just didn't want to get slotted against Club America. That's legitimately the only thing I did not want. But I'm okay with Houston because it it satisfied one of the criteria that I really was looking for, which is um, the best possible path to the next round. And that's what I see out of Houston because it's another MLS side. So both teams are going to be in preseason form. Yep. We've we've fared well against them and their style of play last year, having one, one and drew one three, nothing win and a one, one draw home and away. So there's that history. There's the knowing that we can handle this side. And and we're both going to be in similar boats early in the season, trying to find our form in 2024. So it, it provides that easy runway. The the thing I didn't want. Was another familiar foe in the second round. So Columbus, yeah. If we make it past Houston, we just go over to Ohio, and that's another boring opponent, so to speak. I mean, <laughs> we don't we don't get the, the the sexiness of going international, even if it's Canada or something. The best we can hope for after that point is if we if we beat Houston, if we beat Columbus, we could either possibly go to Mexico and face Tigres, or go to Canada and face Calvary, like those, yeah. That, that's the that's the extent of the hope and you know that's that's kind of if there's a damper to be put on the draw it's that but I I don't even view it more, more as a damper I, I just view it more as it's an international competition regardless of which team we play and the fact that MLS has so many teams in there inherently makes the odds of us playing another MLS side pretty strong we knew this going into it it's not like this should have been a huge surprise but it's a team that we have so much familiarity with and my only hope is that that just means it provides an extra opportunity given our past success against them that we can move on that's that's my takeaway
1: yeah that that's kind of where i was it was yeah it have been cool to play a you know a team we've never seen before or you know give people an opportunity to go to a place they've never been to visit before that would have been pretty neat um, yeah. it, it only serves to kind of oh you know to to you know get the brand name out there of city SC and, and make us more well, you know, recognized and well-known around the world, assuming that you don't get smoked like, (laughs) like we did against America, uh, which I don't know how much that enhanced our brand, but it was still nice to play a team at that level and say, Hey, you know, here's what one of the probably, you know, the probably biggest clubs in North America, you know, if not the biggest, here's where they're at, here's the level that they play at. Right. And you you can see it in, in person. Um, so yeah, it was it was something where you know I, I was a little slightly disappointed in in that because it would have been neat to see them play in mm-hmm. you know Central America or you know somewhere else. But on the flip side, like you said, I was like, okay, well, there that's a winnable first round
0: matchup for us. You know, as winnable as anything we could have been matching. Yeah, up. I mean that's a winnable
1: first round matchup. No disrespect to Houston, who had a great, who was awesome in the second half of the season. Um, but that's a winnable matchup, and then you go uh, into the second round potentially if they if they get there, and, and you're looking at Columbus, which again we traveled over there this year. You know, it was the what I called the reverse Cincinnati game, yeah. uh, which was Cincinnati came here, they went, set out a rain delay, and looked like they had no interest in being there. Um, looked like they were just bored to death with the rain and the wait. And when we went to Columbus, it was almost the same situation.
0: Exactly, they're playing
1: at like 11:30 at night. Uh, it, they looked you now not to say they were disinterested they're professional soccer players and they're they're gonna put forth a good effort but they just you could tell it was just like yeah, we'd have been more into this about three hours ago uh you know we've been sitting playing cards for three hours and we want to do something else right so uh so yeah I mean you you see you would see potentially Columbus, but there is that cachet of they are the defending MLS Cup champions you know absolutely so, um so yeah and and so that's that's kind of where I was at the same in the same boat. And, and, you know, I guess the other biggest thing that has happened obviously since this afternoon is, is the rule stuff is, is all the announcements of the modifications to the rules. You know, you talked about, you touched on a little bit about the, um, the fact that, you know, they're not making any changes to like the number of DPs or or the Tam Gam stuff, like mm-hmm. that's all kind of stinks, you know, stagnant. Uh too much pe- too many people's chagrins who were begging them to to go to four <laughs> DPs.
0: Um, which even if they'd gone to four, I don't know if we would have used one, but you know, we'll oh. see. Man, um, the 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 stands for anti MLS were out in full force late this afternoon. We can say that. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm sure all of the uh, the um,
1: um, the Pro Rel people, the USL mm-hmm. fans, USM through like, yeah. Twitter. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, I mean that's that. Uh, any anything that that they dislike, they they are the vocal minority uh, when it comes to that stuff. And and uh, you know, I kind of want to get your thoughts really quickly. I, I know you don't, don't want to do this all night, but um, I, I would like to hear kind of your thoughts. I'll give you mine real quickly. But yeah. I liked um, the the on field changes as far as the injury sub, hundred percent, the equity of you know heading, you know, like taking people off right away. I like that stuff. Um, I think the hilarious one to me is having an MLS official get on the PA and announce a VAR um, mm-hmm. because Apple better be ready for the mute buttons um, <laughs> because yeah, all they're doing is essentially going to enhance the the the, mm-hmm. the ref you suck people um, you know because if you're in an environment where the rule goes against you. Um, you know, because you see it in hockey, you know, they they they, you know, and now they have it in baseball as well, where the guy comes on and the, the umpire would say, you know, after review, he was safe or he was yep. out or whatever. Um,
0: it's going to be real interesting in MLS. With, there's there's going to be a learning curve with those refs and turning on and off their mics. And yeah, that'll be interesting. Yes, I think it's
1: going to lead to some unintended uh hilarity, um, you know, in, in both good and bad ways. Um, but what did you think about the other? changes that they made, uh, on, as far as the on-field stuff goes.
0: Yeah. The, the competition stuff. Um, I, I'm a fan of, I think just about every single one of them. The, the off-field treatment rule, which was implemented in next pro last year in 22. I thought that was a fantastic rule. It's basically the anti-diving rule where it says if a player with a suspect suspected injury remains on the ground for more than 15 seconds, the ref stops play medical crew comes on and the player moves to the sideline for a minimum of two minutes to be further assessed. This is going to make it to where players they can't stay down, they can't keep diving and feigning injury because the team's going to be without them for multiple minutes. I I love that rule, huge fan of it, and it was implemented fairly well in Next Pro. I think it it, it was consistent in its uh, in its application, and I I really enjoyed seeing the the pace of play, and it it kind of cut down on all that lollygagging. The time substitution rule, so it says maximizing the effective match time. Um, failure to exit from any point of the field within 10 seconds causes the incoming player to wait for a 60 second holding period. I like that again, a pace of play type of thing. I think it gets things moving fairly quickly. Uh, the stat that they threw out was interesting and I guess I'll take it face value. It said 99.7% uh, of the more than 3,200 substitutions were completed in 10 seconds or less. I will take their word for that one. Um, yeah. Uh, first off that's somebody's job to count the number of
1: substitutions. Um, yeah. So good luck to that person. Um the the only one on that part and and you know not to interrupt you sorry but um the only one on the time substitution is I hope that they have common sense with it, right? Don't make it a hard 10 seconds that has no exceptions, right? Because if you've got some guy playing his last home game and he's retiring and he's waving to the crowd don't don't come you know running over and say well you're on you know your sub took more than 10 cent. like just have some common sense about it and hopefully they they make sure that the referees understand that they have to have situational awareness um the, off field tre- you know, the off-field treatment rule that you touched on first the immediate feedback from not americans and not mls fans but all over the rest of the world was like finally somebody's doing this finally yeah. the americans are putting in a good rule yeah and 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 this is something that if it works here maybe it'll go elsewhere because they're they all i mean i saw so many people from uh, overseas in europe and england and and you know different places saying yes finally somebody's actually going to do this yeah to say hey you know if you want to go down if you're hurt uh fine but you you gotta you know if you're hurt then you need to sit, you know, for two minutes, and and uh, it's exactly what you described it as, which is the anti-diving rule. And I think it's awesome. Um, yeah, and, and but the, yeah, as far as the um the time substitution thing, I just ask that they
0: have a little common sense with it. That's all. some some grace for those uh, monumental moments. I agree. exactly correct. Yes, the the other ones I'm a fan of the in-stadium VAR announcements. I think VAR more in-stadium VAR more awareness for fans of what's going on it's only could be good. And yeah, you're probably right. There are going to be some kinks they have to work out to it, but you know, I would take hilarity and transparency over silence and frustration any day. So I'm good with, I love they're doing that. The stoppage time clock. I was joking uh, with some friends earlier that, you know, fans asked for flexibility with the roster, more ability to sign players, flexible use of money. And instead we got, um a clock that can count past 90 in (laughs) stadiums.
1: so (laughs) well well, what it does is remove my my uh feeling like i gotta wear a watch to every minute
0: yes Um, you don't have to break out the phone and turn on your stopwatch yeah i don't
1: yeah and i trust me in 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 where we sit where my season tickets are uh as soon as 90 hits i see everybody going like this or pulling out their phones and hitting
0: start you know like it's It's the thing that everybody's always made fun of soccer for, because you're in a stadium with somebody who's never been to a game, who's never seen the sport. And all of a sudden the game, the clock stops at 90 and they're like, why are they still playing? Oh, it's in stoppage time. Well, what's stoppage time? Oh, well, you know how some, the the play stops during the flow, but the clock doesn't stop. Well, this is making up for that time. Okay. Well, how many, how many minutes is it? Well, they popped up the minute down there too. Well, how do we know when two minutes comes? Oh, well, you'll just hear the whistle and it'll be about two minutes when the referee says not you're, you're just asking people to take leaps of faith when that none of that's necessary. So it just adds to the transparency and just a common sense theme that they're finally adding in. And it's just one of those things that makes sense. You the wonder why only, it took so long.
1: Yeah. Well, the only impact I think it's going to have is everybody who's watched soccer for any period of time knows oh, that no if, if you are coming down to the end of stoppage time, and it hits you know let's say there's five minutes and you're at 95 minutes mm-hmm. and you're driving towards the goal he's gonna let the play go through he's gonna you know most officials are just naturally gonna say let me let this sequence continue yeah until the ball gets cleared or they score a goal like they're not you know they are not just gonna say oh well it's 95 minutes we're done like
0: you know and, no, and so but it, I, I think it's gonna
1: expose that a little bit more i
0: think I think that'll be more transparent, but from a a player and a coach and a staff perspective, they keep those kinds of times. Like the staff knows exactly when 95 minutes is coming up, when you've got five minutes of stoppage. So like they're like, it's just becoming more transparent to where the fans can now see that exact thing in stadium and on TV it's been like that. Like we see, Oh, it's five minutes. They're, they're letting them finish up this drive type of a thing. Yeah. It just makes it to where the people in the stadium now get the same benefit that the staff has with their watches that the people watching on TV have with their, uh, their graphics. Like, I just, I think it just makes sense for the fan experience in the stadium. Yeah. I I
1: just, I'm waiting for, and you'll, you'll be there just like I will. I'm waiting for the first home game where we're leading. (laughs) And there's three three minutes of stoppage time and 93 hits and the whistle doesn't blow and then you hear all these people across the stadium going, "Well, wait a minute!" You know, start pointing at yeah. the clock and you know, like, why is this not done yet? Why is this yeah. not over? And and so that's the only thing I could think it could lead to a little bit.
0: Um, yeah, it, it'll yeah, change. I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah, it'll change that that dynamic for the fans have a little bit. And yeah. I I think it'll be fun to experience. But that was basically it you know that was basically it as far as like the the meaningful things because there weren't on first glance a lot of meaningful things but i do want to call out a few of what they actually did as far as roster and budget guideline updates Mm -hmm. it wasn't anything like we thought wasn't adding in a new bucket of tam it wasn't adding a fourth dp nothing meaningful from those perspectives they reduced the discovery slot which is basically the the list of players That don't play in MLS, but you have on your list that says it's your it's your dibs list, saying if if Cristiano Ronaldo were to come to MLS, then if whatever team has him on their list, they have the first right to be able to sign him. It's Uh, a right
1: of first refusal list.
0: Josh Sargent is on St. Louis's. We know that for sure because we had we were able to put him on our list when they got rid of the allocation order that we were number one on. So that's the kind of list it is. Where if Sargent comes to MLS we have the first right of first refusal for him. So they reduce that from seven to five. That's all. Um, San Diego FC, when they start, they will be the only club that can maintain a seven discovery list slot list. And that's that's it. Um, yeah. General allocation money for designated player transfers. This is just adding in the fact that clubs can now uh, elect to receive a portion of transfer fees as GAM. They can convert real money into fake money. That's all that is. There's one thing, though, that I think is, is interesting at second read for me, and it's the residency deadline. So we talked earlier, Chris, about the international roster slots, the international players, the green card scenario. Let me read this verbatim, and you tell me what your thoughts on it are. For a player to be considered a domestic player in the applicable season, residency must be established, or the player has to have appeared for an immigrant visa interview by the opening of the secondary transfer window. I need to talk to our friend Mario because he, I mean he's the immigration expert on this. To me, that sounds awfully easy to do. In order to be considered a domestic player, residency must be established, or the player must have appeared for an immigrant visa interview by July first. Yeah,
1: how difficult is it to get an interview? You know, that's that's a, my, that was the first thing I. That's the first thing I saw. Is it something where you need to go through a whole process? Get to an approval point, and then they interview you. You're like, because if that's not the case, if an if a a visa interview is something that is fairly easy to get, Mm -hmm. then that seems fairly easy to manipulate. You know, yeah. And, And also, what does this mean for teams that, let's say, you have eight international slots, you have eight international players, and then you get one guy who's like, oh, I got my interview. Does he get dropped now? Do you did you just magically free up an international spot? Because you sure did. Go, that's the way I read it. So yeah, I, I don't know. You're gonna have some probably wily sporting mm-hmm. directors slash GMs, whatever you want to call yourself, um, that are gonna look at that and go, hmm, is there a way I can manipulate that? Because mm-hmm. all of those guys do. You know, the, the smart ones always find the loopholes. And so yeah, that's something that when I saw that too, I was like, wait a minute that leaves the potential for you know has to have appeared for an interview so they already had it um uh-huh. but i don't know as, as someone who was born in the states i i don't know what the process is to get a visa right and i don't know how difficult that is and so um you know for any 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 of your listeners <laughs> who are out there who are not. Native United from the, the States, uh, who did go through that process, shoot let him, at him a line, him. let him know, hit him up on X, let him know, like, hey, here's what it involves. Because
0: I'm, I'm sure, speaking for you as well, we don't know, I don't know how difficult that is. Um, we'll find out, we'll find out here pretty soon. I think whether it's uh, from friends online telling us or whether the club has been able to convert one of our one or more of our eight into domestic players. So, yeah, that, I mean, you know,
1: the, the you know, you always hear, you know. Saleo is a
0: possibility for that because he went to college here. Saleo has a green card. Yeah, he's green card. Yeah, yeah, so he's good. But guys like guys that have been here since early 22, like Berkey, Klaus, Leuven, Ostrock, like all that, all those guys, those are the ones that I'm really keen on knowing. um, How, especially because this appeared for an immigrant visa interview, the club had to have been pushing, especially for guys like Berkey, Leuven, Ostrock, who are here till. 26 or so 25 26 yeah like that process had to have been started so there's a potential opportunity there i will be incredibly intrigued the first time they released the list that includes designations for international players that's for sure yeah and i don't do you know what kind of time frame they when they typically do that or um... they're based on previous players i all i have to go off of is when some players entered the league and when they had their green card and that mm-hmm. was anywhere from one to two years so we're we're approaching the time where that should should be happening for some of these players that we signed during the city two year.
1: Yeah, and and the other thing too is, um, you know, we we've talked about the roster tonight. We talked about you know what potential moves they might still make and and what's out there. The other thing that you know that you have to remember as well to keep in the back of your mind, and, and this is going to be a conversation for you and Stu and Santi way down the road, is they also have to be thinking about hey, at this you know about a year from now, there's going to be an expansion draft. You know, and and what's involved in that process, Um, because, you know, I'm sure that that teams uh, when City was getting ready to start or when Charlotte was getting ready to start or Austin, you know, they got to be thinking ahead to, okay, who are we going to make available for that? You know, and and that process. And so, um, you know, that's another thing to take into account is that, you know, even though Don Garber said, hey, we're going to freeze it after they come in. We'll see how long that lasts, Um, you know, because I I still think they're going to go at least two more. i would like to see him go after the world cup yeah um you know and and uh but yeah that's the other thing to kind of keep in the back of your mind is well there's an expansion draft uh, basically this time next year you know you were at the the one last year Mm -hmm. uh which i think was right around this time and and so you know somewhere in that range so um that's another thing that they have to kind of keep in the back of their minds as well is you still have to expose players to the, the expansion draft so um so yeah i mean um the 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 Roger the roster and budget guideline updates that they released like like you said the discovery slot reduction okay the the gam thing Tam you know I think what everybody was looking for is are they going to you know really the DP thing was I think the biggest are they going to do that um, and they didn't uh, mm-hmm. does it shock me that they didn't no um, would I've liked to see them do it yes because I think uh, it, it would expand the probably the the level of play or level of players that are going to come into the league, but not necessarily yeah. the level of play.
0: There's also the the hope that they would decouple U22s from DPS because yeah. as it, as it is now, if a club has three senior DPS, they only have one U22 slot. In order yeah. to unlock all three U22 slots, they have to have at least a young DP, an open third slot, or a max TAM player. Uh, and and St. Louis qualifies for that. Obviously, but there was hope that they would decouple it. Our, our friend Joseph Lowry, Joe Lowry uh, from Backheel, Total Soccer mm-hmm. Show, he said it best to me where he just simply said, no U22 stuff, no cap increase, no TAM changes, no simplification, no meaningful change. Now is the time to get more quality players in MLS to capitalize on Messi. At this rate, Messi will be gone in 2025 and nothing will have changed.
1: Brutal. Yeah, uh, you know, they – They've made such a push, and the, the other reason too is I'm a little surprised that they didn't go, you know, and 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 try to get another DP slot. Is is Apple, frankly, mm. um, you know, because they're tied, you know, they're tied at the hip now with Apple, and and yeah. obviously Apple was was pushing and was contributing to that uh, to Messi being here, um, and you know, having another DP slot would would open up. Now, again, the thing I always kind of think about when you when you talk about that is. Just having an extra DP slot doesn't mean that an owner's gonna, you know, or, or any franchise is gonna go out and spend the money for a guy uh, to bring him here, or, or you know, nor would a guy necessarily want to go to a certain place, right? Yeah, that's the thing when you start talking about some of these higher end guys coming over here. Um, you know, no offense to St. Louis, Minnesota, Kansas City, slash mm-hmm. Kansas, um, you know, but Houston, you know, some of these cities do these guys want to play in those places or do they want to play in LA and Miami and, you know, they want, you know, New York, like that's the thing is, is yes, you could have extra DP slots, but does that mean, uh, you know, that you're necessarily in a position that where you're going to be able to entice uh, a very high end guy, like, you know, like a Messi or a Suarez or, you know, one of those type guys who's potentially going to be here to play where you're at, you know, And, and I don't know um I, I don't know uh, and so it didn't break my heart to see them not go to four but i was i was a little disappointed but it wasn't the end of the world
0: so yeah and st st louis in particular they didn't utilize all their slots last year and I've, I've seen that comment a few times that what does it matter especially for us if we're not even able to leverage all the existing slots that they have why do we care about them adding more slots and my answer to that is simply it was our first year. This was our initial roster build. Yeah. I, I don't want them to fill up every single slot just for the sake of filling the slots. I want them, I want them to be meaningful and intentional in how they fill out this roster. I think they were successful in that first year. They have some open slots to work with. They just filled a U-22. So we're already seeing progress compared to where we ended the year. Yeah. So give some give some grace in the roster build because it's a it's a continual progression that is supposed to build something sustainable. It's not load up everything with yeah. those slots you have now. And and I, I think that that in and of itself would have benefited St. Louis had they done something like decoupling U-22s from DPs, adding another DP. Yeah. We would have been able to take advantage of it at some point in a way that would have been meaningful to our own roster. Yeah, because if you think about the they did not, and they had, you know, they're, they're
1: intelligent enough to know this market. You know, these are not out of town owners. These are people from St. Louis. Right. Um, and they know this market and they, they knew that it was going to be bonkers for tickets and it was going to be, you know, like they knew. And so you didn't need to go out and make a big splashy signing to get people in the seats. You didn't have to do that. Um, which is, is nice for a season or two, but it's not sustainable. Like you said, Um, you know, what, what they're trying to do and, and and what we're all hopeful that they do is build a sustainable model of developing players and bringing guys in who are overlooked in other places and, and developing a team culture and a team style. Um, and so, yes, uh, you know, bringing bringing in a guy in the first season and also if you look at it from a business perspective, you know, I, I don't think they had any expectation that they were going to have a, the success that they had. But they had, to, you know, they knew based on season ticket holders or sales that they were going to sell out every game. And I'm not trying to be a cynic about it, but you know, I think from a business perspective, they could have looked at it and said, "Well, we're going to be jam packed in the first season, anyways. It probably doesn't matter." And the success that they had was unexpected and awesome, and it was phenomenal, and it leads to all these great memories. Um, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. You know, look at what FCC has done. You know, they mm-hmm. were horrible for three seasons and then they were okay. And then they were the shield winners. Right. So um but they were starting from a different perspective. You know, they were starting from an established club, basically. Um, So, yeah, I think um I don't think they they had any interest in going that route of having to sign somebody because they didn't really need to, um, you know, to make a splash because they knew this was going to be an instant success anyways. Right. So, yeah.
0: Chris, I am about out of topics. You got to yeah. No, else? I'm I'm sorry to keep you so long. I think we went double what you wanted to talk about, so I apologize for that. Uh, you no. know, it's it's my own fault because I and Santi will back me up on this. I always say, oh, we can we can get this covered in 40 minutes. We're we're good to go, especially uh, with with just a few news topics. You know, talk about death a little bit and we'll, yeah. we'll wrap it up. But we haven't talked about anything in two weeks, so I think I I should have expected that we wouldn't be able to contain ourselves. And you then know, also the stuff that happened today, you know, contributed to that as well. Of course. We always like, we, it always ends up timely where things happen like the day of recording. It's, I like it that way, but it does make for, uh, make for longer shows. But if you're sticking around with us still, thank you so much for staying with us. Uh, Chris Gebhardt from STL Soccer News, follow him, STL underscore soccer underscore news or com. Fantastic website. Thank you so much for joining me coming on. I'm going to have you back definitely for sure. Um, that was awesome. I I you know means means the world to me that uh that
1: you would uh invite me in and it was you know, I love talking soccer, obviously. Um and to have, you know, the you know, I've said it to you in person, but I'll say it again so everybody can hear it. You are to me what what I think you you're our connection to the team as a fan. Because you have that kind of inside, you know, where you're at press conferences and you're, you know, you have relationships with people at the club. Um, You're kind of the link between a lot of us as in the fan base and the actual club itself um and it's great that you know uh, uh, that you are willing to you know have these conversations and and stream live which a lot of podcasts don't do um you know they want to get their message out there and that's it and that's great and that's fine and i will i listen to as many of them as i can but um you know, truly I, I appreciate what you what you do for all the rest of us fans so
0: well thank you and thank i mean thank you for listening thank you for interacting like you always do in the chat thanks to everybody who's listening, interacting, it's uh, it's been a fantastic year. You know, Flyover's been here since 2015, but really taken off in the past handful of years. And it's been an amazing 2023. I can't wait for 2024, but as this is probably our last show of 23. I just wanna say, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Hanukkah. It's the last night of Hanukkah, I think tonight, as we're recording this. Happy Kwanzaa for those who celebrate any of these holidays upcoming. Happy holidays, Happy New Year. And we will see you in 2024.
1: See you. Happy holidays.